Our gracious Father in heaven, we are thankful as thou hast gathered us here, and not only us, but all those who fear and have a desire to know thee, and to grow in thy knowledge, and to grow in that closeness and relationship that comes with doing thy will and living it out. And so, Father, as many gather all over the face of this earth to worship thee, and we pray, Father, that thou would also be in our midst, and our worship may be acceptable to thee. We pray for thy word as it goes out, that it would be able to speak to each of us. Also, Father, I pray for thy, thy servant that thy word may be, may be worked through and that I may not be in any way a hindrance to thy message. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord willing, I'd like to, with the Lord's help, um, read from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye may be exalted? because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and nor marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, 
whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus, the king kept the city under the Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window, in a basket, was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. I have read the entire chapter. Let's bow before the Lord. This is a, a rather lengthy chapter, and in many ways, unless there is context placed, yeah, the chapter may seem a little bit confusing or just something out of the ordinary. But I felt compelled this morning to, to look into this word um, I have been spending some time over the last few weeks studying the Second Corinthians um, for my own personal, my own personal needs. And last night, as I was thankful to be in the Ancaster um, Instrumental Weekend, they they had um, Inspiration Hour last night, and the brother that led the Inspiration Hour uh, had chosen the theme of love to to talk. And I, it got my, my mind thinking a lot about what was said. And I, I came back to this chapter, and I want to, with the Lord's help, talk a little bit about what the Bible wants us to understand, at least today, in, in the context of this chapter. So we are all somewhat familiar with the letters to the church in Corinth, um, Corinth was a church that was founded in many ways by Apostle Paul. 
he labored uh, strongly in that area. And it was a church that has uh, extensive documentation, if you will. There's a lot written about the, the church of Corinth. Uh, primarily, the best resource is the two letters that were written by Apostle Paul to the church. This is a church that um, we understand had tremendous abilities. They were, they were endowed with individuals who were uh, great speakers, who had gifts, uh, miraculous, supernatural gifts of healing, uh, gifts that uh, allowed them to speak in, in a known language, but un, um, which required someone to interpret. Um, they were very knowledgeable, and, but they were, all, they were the, and also very wealthy. They were a very wealthy church. They were in all respects, if you just would boil down those, the, the quick, you know, five-second summary of this church, you would say this church was, was one of those leading churches. Um, it had everything going for it. It was wealthy. It was affluent in, in, in not just in material goods, but also in spiritual gifts. Um, it was a vibrant church in all respects. But it is one of those churches that we find a lot of things wrong. In fact, when we read the scriptures and we read the first two letters, we find that there are some terrible things that happened in that church. Terrible in the sense of the the uh, the effect of sin and sin that was that was present in some of the members of the church, and how Apostle Paul had to struggle with dealing with the sin. And at the same time, had to struggle with the way the church perceived him and his leadership. And so it was, it is a, a from a strictly studying perspective, the, the, the church of Corinth gives us plenty of food for thought. We can learn a lot about human behavior in, a, in the context of, the, of a church. We learn a lot about church dynamics how people get along within a church. Uh, we learn a lot about groups that can, that, that if a church is large enough, you can have uh, groups already begin to, to form themselves within a church, where one group uh, believes one way and another group believes another way, and, and then you, you start to get divisions in the church. A lot can be said about the Church of Corinth. And in many ways, the church is a realistic picture um, of what can happen to a, a group of people that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and have been uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit, meaning that they have the Holy Spirit residing in them. If we were not truthful, we may want to say, well, the Church of Corinth, the first two letters, or the letters, to the, and I say the two letters, because in fact there are four letters written. We only have two. But if we were to read First uh, uh, and Second Corinthians in detail, we could clearly understand that Paul had written four letters in total. The extent of the other letters we don't know. One may have been very short, one may have been equaled in length. But there are four letters altogether. And if we were not truthful, if we didn't want, if we were ashamed to give the world a proper perspective or truthful perspective of Christianity, we may be tempted to want to close this chapter or, or, or remove it altogether from, from the Bible 
from the New Testament specifically, because it is not necessarily a, a, a good report of what a Christian group of people should be like. But there are many things that we find in, Cor- in Corinthians, in the, in the letters, that, that had there not been these issues in the church, had Apostle Paul not been uh, endowed by the Spirit of God to deal with these conflicts, we would never know how to deal with our own conflicts. We would never have a place where we can go and, and, and examine and assess, how does this relate to my life? How am I experiencing similar issues And what advice did Apostle Paul give them that I can also take and apply to my own life? So in many ways, these are teaching moments, teaching opportunities for our own. And God wanted to make sure that the whole reality of Christianity was evident for generations to come, we being one of those generations. But the context in chapter 11 is... uh, in many ways, the Apostle Paul defending his position as a leader in the church. And he uses, he uses some, some very strong and emotional words to, to convey his relationship with the church and, and how they ought to reciprocate or, or respond in, in kind back to him. Um, and it also gives us uh, a, a very clear picture. If you, if you are having a discussion, a private discussion with someone, uh, and many times when we have confidential conversations with somebody else, we tend to open up and say things that we would not necessarily say in public. We, we, uh, we share intimate thoughts intimate feelings with someone else about a particular topic. We expose ourselves and uh, we make ourselves vulnerable. And, and we, we say things in, in confidential conversations that we don't normally say under groups, group-like settings. We, we are just more, much more careful. We are much more discreet in our discussion and our words. But in this particular chapter, particularly verses 16 onward, we have this occasion where Apostle Paul is, is having an intimate discussion through a letter that he is writing to, that is going to be publicly read to the church, and his, as his custom was, when he would write a letter to a church, particularly the church was situated geographically where there were other neighboring churches, he would encourage that that letter be then circulated among the other churches, that the other churches may benefit from the teachings and instructions that were directed to the first church. And in this, in verses 16 onward, um, Apostle Paul is being intimate. He is speaking in a very intimate manner with the whole church, exposing his, his, himself, making himself very, very vulnerable. <coughs> And we can learn from this, and we can, we can gain a, an insight from this. Why is this important? Why is, why, why, why is this here? And, you know, does God want us every Sunday morning and every Sunday afternoon to simply be preaching the cross? And I don't want to in any way belittle the cross or, or an evangelical theme, but clearly if we were to exhaust all the chapters of all the books and all the, 
all the all that is found and contained in the New Testament, we would see that not every single chapter and not every single book, every single letter is specifically or does has a specific evangelical tone to it. So clearly there are occasions when we need to and there are occasions when we need to look into this. And so for me, I'd like to share with you as, as I listened to the, to the brother speak last night, I, it, it, it brought me back to, to this chapter. The Bible tells us, and we look in the New Testament, we can... We can look to the letters of uh, Apostle Paul to Timothy. And I'm going to read. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, it says, beginning with verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous, very dangerous times shall come. And then he goes on to give a description of the, the character of man in the last days. For man shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, which means strong-willed and stubborn, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So that is, in, in, a, in a very concise and very uh, explicit uh, summary, the character that will prevail in the lives of men and women in the last days. And you can, somebody has this prevailing personality and character. Let, let's say character, because character is, is what you choose to be. Character is, is who you choose to be. Personality is, has uh, inherent traits that are passed on to you from your parents. But character is whom you choose to be. And, and in this case, the character described here of men and women in the last days will lead to dangerous times. And why is that? Well, if men are lovers of their own selves and covetous and boasters and proud and blasphemers and so forth, you wouldn't want to be necessarily in the company of such an individual. And you wouldn't find yourself comfortable in the company of such an individual. You wouldn't want to make a business transaction, if you will, with such an individual. You wouldn't want to get, in, get into an intimate agreement with such an individual. You would be wary of such an individual. You would be very cautious of entering in any kind of relationship with such an individual. Because ultimately, this individual is not looking after your own best interest. And even when they look after their own best interest, their best interests are extreme are distorted. So, in this respect, the, the Apostle Paul is saying that in the last times, the character of man will be so different, so different than what God expects of man. 
and that and so different than the person who has the Holy Spirit in them. There's going to be a very obvious contrast between those who have the Spirit of God in them and those that do not. The Bible also tells us, Jesus Christ said, that, that because, and this is in, in reference to, to the end times as well, um, and, and you can now guess that I am somewhat in the end times theme, um, a few weeks, maybe more than a few weeks back, when I had, when I had a message about the end times, and I unknowingly talked about the, the, the situation in Kiev, in the square, I had no idea. And I had talked about the end times in respect to the Ezekiel and, and, and Gog and Magog, which is Russia, how that is directly north of Israel and how that would include uh, parts of, of uh, the Middle East that would come and God would make that happen. We don't know how that would happen, but it would be uh, an initiating event that would cause Russia to take the, the pretense to attack Israel. And, and I had no idea that almost a week after we had talked about the riots in, in, in Kiev that, that Russia would annex Crimea. It was like, it was like World War II, uh, the annexation of Austria and Czechoslovakia and Poland, the Anschluss that happened during that period of time, almost identical. And the world has watched the world has watched, and it's amazing. It's amazing. We are, I am convinced, we are in these times. So Jesus said that one of the other characteristics of the end times is that sin will abound, and the love of, because, he qualifies that, because sin will abound, the love of many will wax or grow cold. So we have, we have in, in this respect, we have a, um, a picture painted of us, of the character of man in the last days that will be very selfish, but will be selfish and, and, and deviously so. Traitors, disrespecter of parents, truth. No relationships can endure in mind. if they're not based on truth. And at the same time, Jesus no agreements, nothing really can endure, can survive time, unless it's based on truth. God ultimately is going to judge man for what he did with what he knew. And so we have to look at truth. We have to look at what we know and what we're doing with that knowledge. Church? Is he speaking As a church, we need to zealously guard the truth. The truth is evident in our own personal lives. It is evident in the interactions between ourselves and others in the church. And that as a whole, the church is in the right direction, is upholding truth, and that upholding is causing the church to go in the right direction. This is so critical because the Bible said that Jesus said that if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. If the church loses its ability to flavor the world with truth, we have lost our light. We have lost our purpose. And it doesn't happen 
corporately as, as a collective group, it happens individually first. It's like yeast and leaven. It happens individually in the lives of people. And when truth is snuffed out in the lives of people and that spreads to the body, then the whole body fails in truth. The scripture encourages us to be very careful in our own lives because what we allow in our own lives will have a consequence in the body and will have a consequence in the effectiveness of the salt on the earth. This concludes our service. Amen. So that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we had talked about that a few weeks back, that, that, when, that one of the indicators of the time is accelerating is that the, the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And there, are, and, and there are many ways in which that can happen, and it can happen very quickly. Um, he, this man will sit in the temple of God, and we can read in, in Matthew, and we can read back in, in Daniel, that he will, he's referred to as the abomination of desolation, the one that defiles the temple of God because he sits in it, declaring himself to be God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know, that withhold, and now you know what withholded that he might be revealed in his time. In other words, he's not being revealed yet. This isn't going to happen yet, and the reason why it's not happening yet, it will happen in its time, in its proper time, and it's being held back by the will of God. And God holds it back, is allowing things to develop until the time is right when, when this man of sin, when the son of perdition will be revealed. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. This mystery of iniquity. Iniquity has been since, since the time of Adam and Eve, when Eve and Adam sinned against God. Sin became the, 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 the sickness and disease that plagued man ever since and was the, the reason, the primary reason, why God found it necessary to send his son to die on the cross to provide a, a sinless substitute for sacrifice and to shed a pure blood in order to blot out and clean out uh, your sin and my sin. Sin, the mystery of iniquity, has been happening since the time of Adam and Eve. And it says here, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's been working. And in its place, we see the mechanism, the machine of sin working in, in, in places of power. When we talked about uh, when, I, when I had that message some time back, how this is already working in governments. This is already working in, in, in how God is allowing this machinery of sin to continue to evolve and, and to be in that position where it is now the time for the, son of, the, son, the man of perdition, the son of perdition, the man of sin to be revealed. That is happening today. And part of what's happening today is the shift the shift in societal norms with respect to, to uh, criminal, ethical, and moral law. All those things are changing. They're changing away from the Judeo-Christian or Mosaic law, the, the, the very foundation upon which all, all judicial systems in all pro-Western countries were established. All that is shifting. It is shifting away from that. So the machinery of sin, the mystery of iniquity, is working in all levels, in our society, 
in our judicial systems, in our governments. It is there. It is working before our eyes. And we are living in an unprecedented time. We are, we are, fortunate or not, we are living in a time of history that will never have its equal. Jesus Christ said, so consider yourself unique, Jesus Christ said that, that the, the tribulation in the period of, of anguish that the world will experience has never, ever been experienced in the history of man. There is no equal to what will come. And we are in that generation. We are in that time. So if, if it were to continue afterwards and people would write history books, they would say that was the period like none other. Remember, when, when First World War occurred, it was the Great War. It was the war to end all wars. And when Hitler began his Anschluss of Austria and his annexation of all those other places, nobody had the appetite for war. They had just come through the Great War. They were still nursing the people that had died from the Great War. Nobody wanted to confront Hitler. Nobody had the appetite. And we are almost in that similar situation. Parallels exist where, where we have a man called Putin who, who may or may not be the man that will lead Gog and Magog, Gog being the prince of Magog, the people of Magog, who may lead that charge that, and may use the right pretense to attack the, the, the people of God. We don't know. But nobody has the appetite for war. Nobody. And... And it may be just the right time for these things to happen. Here it says, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whom, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, I want us to focus on verse 10 here. And it is, it is, it is um, a very detailed verse. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they, they that perish, received not the love of the truth. They perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So we have a qualifier, if you will, that you perish. Man perishes when he fails to receive the love of the truth. When in his heart he makes a conscious decision to reject what is presented before him as truth and no time has there been a greater need than now to present truth? To, to make sure the truth is declared, not just in, a, in, in by what we say, but more so who we are. Who we are as believers. Historically, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who... who who was there when the, when the universe was created, stood before a judge, a man of authority, given authority by God on this earth, called Pontius Pilate. 
And, and Jesus said, I came to, to reveal the truth. And, and Pontius unwittingly makes a statement that has been repeated by all theologians and all historians and any philosopher that ever wanted to. And he says, what is truth? And walks away. What is truth? So truth, truth is the very essence of that which is going to determine where you spend your time forever. It is truth that we have to grapple with in order to decide what we do with what we know. Truth is the qualifier that determines how right or wrong the decisions we make in life, the choices we make. It is, it is the, the basis upon which we live. It's truth. And every society, every advanced society, and every primitive society that has ever lived, that has ever roamed this, this world, has had some kind of law, some kind of principle, some kind of guiding uh, teachings that, that defines for them what is right. In advanced societies, we have criminal, we have a judicial system that defines criminal law, that defines ethics, that defines, well, in some ways, morality. We know from the time of Moses, when the children of Israel were led out of Israel, and then after Moses, Joshua had the next responsibility as the leader to bring the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, which would become Israel. And then after Joshua, there were no leaders. It was the time of the judges. And the, the Bible tells us that in that position of leaderlessness, that, that man, without a guiding principle, said and did that which appeared right in his own eyes. Right in his own eyes. And today, we are there. We are there. We have today a society which, even though we look at our judicial system, we come to the conclusion that our, judici our judicial system is already corrupt. It is already broken. It doesn't have the integrity necessary to, ex to execute and discharge justice to the one that has been wronged. We look at, we look at ethics, and we look at morality in our, own, in, in our society. You know, morality is a relative thing now. We do that which seems right in our own eyes. We, we justify what we do based on our understanding. It is based on our choice of what truth is. And the Bible tells us here that, that without truth, without truth, men will perish. Men will perish. So we understand that in the last days, the character of man will be un, unfavorable. We understand in the last days that the love of many, and in this case, we can, be, um, we can clarify that and state that the love of those in the church will grow cold because sin will abound. And Apostle Paul says that there will have to be a falling away first. There will have to be a departing from the faith. 
And when I say faith, I really mean, in equal signs, truth. Departing from the truth. So if you put all that together, you can see that, that if you wanted to understand what is happening, you would want to look for the early signs of, indica- in, of an indication that what you believe is happening is happening. So we call that leading indicators. So the leading indicator that we are heading in the wrong direction or that we're heading, that the time is coming very, very fast, besides looking at our society, is to look at the church. The leading indicator of the times to come is the health of the church. The church is the litmus test. It is that which defines for us that the, where we are today, the times that we're in. And, and we don't have time, but in, in Peter it says... If, if judgment first begin in the household of God, and then he goes on, you know, where will the sinner and the unjust uh, be? But the point is, judgment will first begin in the household of God. God, and we can read in Revelations, we've had several, not only preaching from it, we've had uh, Bible study topics in CFG on Revelations, on, all, on, on the, all the churches, the letters to the churches, that God judges the churches. He warns them. The revelations is an, is an, is a, is for us an, an ability to 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 check ourselves and say God is warning the church, and warns the church of the need for them to to make sure that they are in the truth. Now I, re- I realize we've talked a lot about, but not chapter eleven of Second Corinthians. The point here is that Second Corinthians is an indicator of a true church. It is an indicator of a leader in a true church. Apostle Paul uh, chose, and, and the, part of the argument he places in 2 Corinthians 11 is that, that others who claim to be apostles uh, exacted payment from believers because they were apostles. And, and, and Apostle Paul did not do that. And the, the Corinthians took offense to that as if Apostle Paul was treating them like they were any less of believers. And, and he says, you know, have, have, I, have, I, I, um, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, why do I do this? Why do I choose not to ask you to financially support me while I am here in Corinth, away from my own home, uh, laboring to instruct you and to teach you in the ways of righteousness. Instead, and I have my own physical needs, I mean, just imagine, you know, if I were to to do that or any other minister who has a full-time job and would go to to another country, another country for Paul, 
and go spend months there, possibly years, instructing them and, and setting up the infrastructure of what it is to have a Christian church and teaching them in the doctrine of salvation and of truth. I mean, you have to survive. Somebody has to pay. So, you, I mean, you have, you have to pay for your, okay, maybe you may have boarding and, 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 and so forth, but, but you need that. But Apostle Paul, he didn't, he didn't do that. He actually worked. He was a tent maker. He had a, he had a trade. Today he would be a tradesman. He would be a craftsman of some sort. And he used that craft, he used that trade, that skill in that city of Corinth, and he provided, he, was, he worked for his own living. And at the same time, he was able to minister to their needs. And they took offense to that. Because that somehow brought him, he abased himself. In other words, that put him at a lower level of importance as an apostle. And they wanted importance. Remember that this was a church that was, in many ways, because they were gifted with so many things, they felt themselves to be much better than others. And 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 in a previous chapter, he says, they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. And that's that famous and something we should always remember, that when you compare yourself among others, you know, you're not really being wise. Because Apostle Paul said, why do you boast? Why are you proud of the things you've accomplished in life or the very things you can actually do that are different than other people? When you haven't really, you haven't worked to attain those skills or abilities. God has given them to you. You have just, in one way, discovered them, and now you're employing them. And they bring forth fruit, or they're evident to others to see. But they weren't something you, you acquired. God gave them to you. As he's given every one of us special abilities. So why do we boast if we haven't really, you know, worked for it? We just received it freely. And so this is a church that felt it was important for Apostle Paul to be a very important apostle because that would then indicate that they were a very important church. It's interesting. And, and they had a problem with that. And he said, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm going to, and then he goes on to say, I'm going to cut off occasion, cut off or, uh, or prevent someone having the opportunity to boast. And then he goes on in verse 16 to talk about, you know, people boast about what they've accomplished. He says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak foolishly. Give me the opportunity to speak foolishly, and I'm going to tell you all the things that I have done, and I have suffered. And then we have the, the for, for me, which is uh, 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 such a uh, uh, culmination of everything he argues in those verses where he says, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And he's given us a picture of all the things that he had to care for, the burden he had. Even though he was caring for them and loving them, they weren't appreciating them. And they thought that he wasn't, you know, that what he was doing was not in their best interest. And he says, and then in the end, and then there were people that would complain. They would be complaining about their situation. And then he says, given all the things I have suffered... He talks about all the perils that he experienced, that how he's being a day and a night in the deep, in the, in the depth of the ocean, how that he's been imprisoned so many times, how he's been experienced stripes, he's been stoned and so forth, all those things. And he says, and you have reasons to complain. And says, and who is weak? In light of that picture that I've just painted you, who then really is weak? Who can really say they're weak? And I am not weak. And then he says, and who is offended? Who finds occasion 
a cause to justly say, I have been offended. When, when everything that he has experienced and received no love back from the church, he says, who is offended? Who really is offended? And I burn not? In other words, am I not feeling that burn that comes with, with being hurt and being offended and being mistreated and being misused and being wrongly accused? This is an intimate man expressing intimately to the church what was in his heart. And as long as the church can do this, as long as the, 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 the church dynamics, as long as we as a church, as a body of Christ, are willing to be intimate with one another in the right time, at the right place, and be able to foster ultimately a, a working relationship that would help us all grow, we are not departing from the truth. We are keeping the truth. We are experiencing the Spirit working in us. As long as we can look at ourselves objectively, as long as we can, we can look at our lives and establish that what we are doing is founded on truth, the truth of the gospel, that our motives are not, don't have, that there are no ulterior motives, that there are not, as we read, some attributes that may be, give a hint of the character of man in the last days. These are things that we need to be careful and that we need to screen out in our own lives. May the Lord add to his word whatever is lacking. Amen. No relationships can endure if they're not based on truth. No agreements, nothing really can endure, can survive time unless it's based on truth. God ultimately is going to judge man for what he did with what he knew. And so we have to look at truth. We have to look at what we know and what we're doing with that knowledge. As a church, we need to zealously guard the truth. The truth is evident in our own personal lives. It is evident in the interactions between ourselves and others in the church. And that as a whole, the church is in the right direction, is upholding truth, and that upholding is causing the church to go in the right direction. This is so critical because the Bible said that, Jesus said that if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. If the church loses its ability to flavor the world with truth, we have lost our light, we have lost our purpose. And it doesn't happen corporately as, as a collective group. It happens individually first. It's like yeast and leaven. It happens individually in the lives of people. And when truth is snuffed out in the lives of people and that spreads to the body, then the whole body fails in truth. The scripture encourages us to be very careful in our own lives because what we allow in our own lives 
will have a consequence in the body and will have a consequence in the effectiveness of the salt on the earth. This concludes our service. Amen.